Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packle. Welcome to Scripture and Tradition, where we take a look at this Word of God and sacred Scripture, but through the lens of the tradition that comes to us from Christ to the apostles and their disciples. We'd love to have you be part of the show. You can do so by adding your questions or comments during the live show, which is Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, you can call. The number is 1-800-221-9460. 1-800-221-9460. If you are not in North America, that number will not work. So you can call another number, country code 1, area code 205, 271-2980. You can also send us your questions and comments by email by writing to scriptureandtradition at ewtn.com or follow us and participate with the show on Facebook and YouTube. Today we'll take a look at the way our Lord Jesus Christ interacts with a man suffering from leprosy. This is in Mark chapter 1. And we also want to think about some of the things we can do in times when we might be medically or socially isolated from others. Very appropriate for the last couple of years. Now, we are going through another one of my books, uh, which is called Praying the Gospels, Jesus' Miracles in Galilee. Praying the Gospels. Now, this is available <clears throat> at EWTNRC.com. It is item number 52885. 52885. And uh, we, you can use that to help you follow along with this topic. Now, we are taking a look at Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. And this begins, our first reflection begins as the leper approaches Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Just taking a look at verse 40. It says there, And a leper came to him, begging him. And kneeling, he said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. So there are a number of things here. It's the leper who takes the initiative to approach Jesus. And he pleads with him to make him clean. He says this, first of all, with the uh, word fellas, if you will, if you will. This indicates his own recognition that Jesus, our Lord, can accomplish whatever he wills to do. And he can do something even as seemingly impossible as heal a leper. Now, 
in the Old Testament, when they speak about leprosy, they were talking about something different from Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is what we call uh, leprosy today uh, that was brought to the Mediterranean world from India. That's where it was uh, first encountered. And it was the armies of Alexander the Great who brought it with them when they returned from their wars in the Indus Valley in northern India. And um, they didn't know they were carrying it at first, but they did, and it spread, like viruses often do. There was, in the Old Testament, when they talked about leprosy, a lot of times we, we don't know what they meant because Hansen's disease wasn't present in the, the Mediterranean world. It may well have been very serious forms of psoriasis or other skin disorders. We don't know for sure. But um, by the time of our Lord, Hansen's disease was present. Um, the ancients had no idea how to cure this. They didn't understand what a virus was. Today we do. If you get to the disease early enough, it can be cured. But what happens is that a person's limbs, it begins with the outer limbs, fingers and toes and stuff, begin to decay while they're still attached to the body and it moves toward the core of the body. And so they, they uh, lose their limbs eventually and eventually it takes their life but it's limb by limb. And lepers were isolated from everybody else. Again, they knew that it was communicable with ongoing contact, but they didn't know how exactly. So the only safeguard they had was to isolate the lepers and put them in, uh, send them off to different places. Um, if you are aware of Molokai, where Father, now St. Damien um, was able to serve the people, there was an island in the Hawaiian Islands that was a leper colony island. There were also some leper colonies in Louisiana. In the continental United States, uh, the um, armadillo carries uh, leprosy in the pads of their feet. That's, you don't want to mess with them too much, but they, modern medicine knows how to extract the um, cure, the serum against leprosy from the leprosy that exists naturally in the armadillos. And so uh, we had it here too, but they had separate uh, leper colonies in Louisiana in our past, as well as in Hawaii. And the ancients did the same thing. So really, it's all the way up until the 20th century. Lepers were simply isolated to prevent the spread of it. In the time of our Lord, they were considered the walking dead. They were the walking dead because they were rotting. Their body was already decaying. 
while they're still walking around. And um, this uh, was something that, you know, had them live apart because they were, you know, not pleasant to look at, not pleasant to smell as they were dealing with, with that corruption, uh, physical corruption. And they basically had to endure the pain as well as the anxiety about oncoming death and the loss of their limbs, growing disability, had to endure all that. Apart from the rest of society, they only had other lepers with whom they could have contact. Nobody else was allowed to be with them. In addition to having this deadly disease, Israel considered them ritually unclean. And they could not go into the synagogues or the temple. That they had death. And see, the, the, the Bible emphasizes that God is a God of the living. And so you can't bring death into the temple. We see in Matthew 22, verse 31 to 32, where St. Matthew said, Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. So that quality of God being a God of the living means that lepers could not come into the temple because they might drop parts of their rotting body somewhere in the temple. That was the fear. Same thing with the uh, earlier term for leprosy. If they had psoriasis, dead skin would fall off when they're in the temple, so they couldn't go to the temple. So people feared contagion by contacting the lepers, and they and they also had to avoid ritual uncleanness because if they touched a leper, then they became ritually unclean, so they couldn't go to the temple. Um, that, that was you know, part of this. So this is all a very, very serious physical, social, and spiritual set of effects that were part of leprosy. And that's not too unusual with a lot of diseases. We've seen ourselves how you know, so much of our life was shut down during the COVID pandemic. And we, we, in many places, our churches were shut down or limited. Uh, some states limited access to church and Holy Communion, and other places just shut them down. Though Some places, like Michigan, they let the liquor stores and the marijuana stores stay open, but churches they shut, which indicates what they think is more important in life. But I pass over that in silence. And this is something that we have to deal with in regard to this passage. People isolate themselves for a wide variety of reasons. You know, and um, sometimes they don't know how to find people that accept them. 
This is a big concern, especially for the young, young people in particular, need to be accepted. They want their peers. They're make, as they get into adolescence, they're making a transition where their family already accepts them, but now they look for the wider world to accept them. That's also why many of them have more influence from their friends than from their parents because they really want the approval of their peers more than they want their parents' approval. They assume that. And this is something that can happen. Also, people who are physically unattractive, sometimes because they're overweight, sometimes because they're not coordinated and can't join sporting teams, um, poor people oftentimes isolate because they don't have such nice clothes. And we've even seen crimes in some of our cities where people are beaten up for their shoes. You know, and they, they, because people want to have, you know, certain very expensive uh, gym shoes, tennis shoes and stuff. Uh, so they, but not dressing well. Sometimes racial minorities, sometimes ethnic mi minorities are separate. Religious minorities, Jewish people and Muslims oftentimes feel isolated uh, from other parts of society. People who are, you know, have sexual identity concerns, they oftentimes are isolated into groups of people that have the same issues. And other people self-isolate for other reasons, sometimes psychological and other issues, all kinds of things. Oftentimes, they isolate because society gives them signals that they should. You're not like us. You're different than we are. And we don't know how to cope with you, or we don't want to cope with you, or we don't like coping with you. Those are realities. And quite frankly, you know, as people go through life, they feel isolated from other folks at different reasons and different times of life. And the way that people respond to that isolation can go all the way from self-pity to rage. Some people inflict wounds on themselves, cutting themselves and things like that. And some people commit suicide. And others lash out in violence against others. Oftentimes we've seen that many of the people who have done these large-scale killings at schools and malls and other places are people who are self-isolated for a variety, or they're isolated sometimes themselves, sometimes not. And this is where the leper, who is isolated, very seriously isolated, he reaches out to Jesus Christ. He takes the initiative to reach out to someone that can help him. And, you know, there are a variety of experiences I'm sure that he had of being, you know, once he discovered he had leprosy 
and how he was uh, kicked out from society and not allowed to go to synagogue or temple. He experienced all that, but he ends up being a character in the gospel only because he reached out to Jesus. That's what made the difference. Then he humbly knelt down in front of Jesus. He wasn't there saying, well, you don't know how bad my life has been and you got to help me. Or nothing like that. He made an act of faith in the context of his isolation and reaching out to Christ, an act of faith in Christ. That's why it says, if you will, you can make me clean. That's an act of faith that Christ can do what he wills to do and that includes even cleaning a leper who is condemned to death by his leprosy. So what I would recommend as a way to pray over this verse is think back on the times you felt isolated when you, you know, for very, all the different reasons that we can be isolated. How did you handle it? What was your reaction to isolation? How did you understand the problem that caused the isolation? Again, for many of us, during COVID, many people were isolated, couldn't see their loved ones, couldn't go to the old folks' homes and visit relatives, all that. Also ask, what did you do about the isolation that you felt? Even if this is something that happened years ago, perhaps in adolescence or some other time, we're thinking back. And then picture our Lord Jesus Christ entering into your isolation. Or picture yourself reaching out to him in your isolation. Your social leprosy, you could say. What would you say to our Lord now about that past isolation? Or if you are feeling isolated now, what do you say to him about your present situation? How would he respond to you? What would he say to you in the face of you reaching out to him and say, Lord, I'm isolated. I believe in you. I need you. I want you to come into this isolation in my life. Ask our Lord that. And then what I would recommend is that you conclude with that prayer that we've mentioned in the past, the soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. Within your wounds, hide me. On water from the side of Christ, wash me. Uh, oh, good Jesus, hear me. Within your wounds, hide me. And from the wicked foe, defend me. So that, and draw me to be with you. Pray that prayer and make that your own. And that would be a great way to ask our Lord into your own isolation. All right, we're going to stop here, take a break. We'll come back and we'll take a look at 
our Lord's response to the leper. So please stay with us. Thank you. And our next meditation will be about how Jesus responds to the leper in Mark chapter 1, verses 41 to 42. It says in that text, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. So, let's take a look at this. First, there are three ways in which our Lord responds to this leper. The first is emotional. Second, with a loving touch. And thirdly, by healing act. Of his will. Let's take a look at those three one at a time. First, Jesus was moved with pity. Now, in this, it says that he um, uh, he uses a verb that is derived. They took a noun and sort of made a verb out of it. Splankna um, is the noun. That's at the root of the verb. And this refers to the inner organs, uh, you know, we have. So heart, lungs, liver, kidney, spleen, all that. And the reason that it mentions this, that his, his inner organs were all moved, is that the ancient folks believed that the seat of our emotions were in these organs, as well as our will. They thought of the will being uh, located in the uh, liver, intestines, kidneys. Uh, for instance, in Jeremiah 17, the Lord says, I have probed your liver and your kidneys. And so and that sounds odd to us, but they thought of the heart as the organ of the mind, as we did your thinking in your heart. Um, and they, they thought of the organs, you know, the lower organs, uh, like kidneys and liver and intestines, as being where the will is located. And emotion, too, especially a little bit later, it was more emotion was there. That's why, in its verbal form, this comes to mean feel compassion or pity. That was one of the 
ways that they used it. Um, this shows up, for instance, in Luke 15, where it says that the, the son, the prodigal son, went to his father, was still far off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. His kidneys and liver were moved, okay? And he put his arms around him and kissed him. Same thing in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, that a Samaritan saw the man who had been beaten up um, while he was traveling, uh, came near to him and saw him and was moved with pity. He, you know, didn't harden his heart. We use that expression, don't we? To harden your heart. His, instead, his kidneys were moved and, and liver and intestine. It's a way to show compassion. Um, and the same thing with the king in Matthew 18, that uh, there's a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, and he was moved to, with compassion for his servant that owed him 10,000 pounds of gold. Okay, that's a lot of gold. And so, excuse me, 10,000 talents, not 10,000 pounds, 10,000 uh, talents. That's 700,000 pounds of gold. It's a lot of money. You'd think he worked for the federal government. At any rate, um, so the, he showed compassion for that. This is what our Lord does with this man who has this overwhelming problem of leprosy. And he has, uh, just like he will show compassion for the crowds, uh, and for healing of other people. Uh, for the crowds, he shows compassion in Matthew 9, verse 36, 14, verse 14, 15, verse 32, and he multiplies loaves and fish for the hungry people for whom he has compassion. Also for the blind men in Matthew 20, verse 34. So this is very important in our Lord. He has compassion and feeling for us. He's not, you know, detached from us. Secondly, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, touching a leper entailed two problems. One, the risk that you could get cancer and get infected. I mean, not cancer, but get leprosy. You can become infected. If you, by, by touch. Usually it's by long-term touch. You know, St. Damien uh, got leprosy after a number of years of working with him. Didn't happen right away, just, you know, one touch. But, you know, regular contact can, can do that. So that was a risk. And secondly, it, he could not participate at the synagogue or temple anymore because he would become unclean from touching a leper. But it was more important for our Lord to show compassion by touching him and you know, laying, laying his hand upon him. This is uh, an important thing. You know, so um, you know, that was the second response of our Lord to the leper. Thirdly, he says, I will, fellow. Remember the, the leper had said to him, if you will, thales, you know, thales, um, you can heal me. And he says, fellow, I will it. 
I will it. And um, it's not, I will do this like in the future tense or something. No, no, it means I'm making an act of the will. I'm deciding. That's what Othello means. And as soon as he makes that act of the will, as soon as Jesus makes that decision, the leprosy left him. And he was cured immediately. Now, you've got to add that the word immediate, immediately, in Mark's gospel is one of the most common words. St. Mark uses the word immediately all the time throughout the gospel. It's, it's really repeated quite often. Um, because he likes to show that this is something, a very dynamic kind of action. And that this compassion that Christ felt reached out in a touch and also by an act of his will that brought this healing. And the man who was walking dead, doomed to death, is now recreated and the leprosy is healed. This is uh, very, very important. We see in this three actions, our Lord's full humanity and full divinity. His humanity shows up in the fact that he feels compassion. He would have splunkna, these internal organs. And his feelings come from them. He also touches. That's a human act. It's a physical touch. The angels can't touch us. They don't have bodies. Christ is God made man. And he truly is human. But then he is fully God. Because in his divinity, he makes this act of the will. And what God wills happens. So all, all of that is present there. And we will see throughout the whole public ministry that the human nature of Christ and the divine nature of Christ are always together. What theologians would later call the hypostatic union. But there's this union of his uh, body, uh, of his human nature and uh, divine nature act and do these miracles in complete, um, you know, uh, harmony. And that's very important. We should contemplate the various miracles of Christ and have the same sense of wonder that the crowds had. They were amazed at this because nobody had ever been healed of leprosy. You know, it just didn't happen. And the more vividly you portray this, the more lively way that you see it, the more you can understand and, and get, acquire a, a, a sense of that combination of, that, that union of Christ's human and divine natures. And of course, he'll always be someone who is amazing, um, but this is something that we need to humbly accept, like the leper who very humbly knelt down before Christ and asked 
for this help. If you will, you can heal me. And that humble kind of faith that he expressed and led to his healing also has to be part of ours. That as we reach out to Christ in our own isolation, humility will behoove us well. And this is a very, very important so that we never deny any truth about Jesus. But in faith, we accept it and conform our will and our mind and our emotions to the truth that he reveals. That's what's key. Okay? All right. Well, let's stop there. And we already have a caller on the line. Let's go to Anthony in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Anthony, what can we possibly do for you? Good afternoon, Father Mitch. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. What can we do okay. for you? Okay, so my wife and I are fine, and we're all fine here. A little hot, but uh, during these horrific times we live in, with uh, COVID, monkeypox, and all these illnesses, brain mm -hmm. cancers and cancers, mm -hmm. are these cycles of what we read about with the prophets that they predicted, or um, possibly are they things that we should just think that they're human made or is this from the prophets or um and also yeah. the prophet daniel he stated that uh, there's three different entities in heaven can you elaborate on that father mitch please well a couple things I, I i'm not sure which passage you're thinking of in daniel um i don't have it before me but I read I, i'd have to get the uh, the verses that you're thinking of um Certainly there are different kind of angels, and he mentions uh, the various angels, including Gabriel and St. Michael. Um, but I'm not sure exactly what passage you're referring to. But in terms of diseases, we have to keep in mind, throughout human history, there have been plenty of plagues. A lot of them, a lot of them, I don't know about most, but a good number of them are plagues that happen because of contact with animals. A lot of the animals have diseases that are in them that don't affect the animals. Some animals are born with certain diseases, but they do affect us when we have contact with them. So uh, I forget, I think it may have been syphilis was found in sheep. Syphilis or gonorrhea? I think it's syphilis that was found in sheep, naturally. And people having improper relations with sheep contracted it. This is one of the realities. Um, smallpox came from North African gerbils. That's where that came from. And then, uh, not the kind of gerbils you get in the pet store, those are Asian gerbils, but North African gerbils carry smallpox. And there are fleas from Southeast Asia, especially in Vietnam, that carry bubonic plague. And as shipping, you know, and travel from South Asia during the uh, earlier centuries, uh, came along, the rats on the ships carried the disease and brought it wherever the ship went. That's the reality. 
and it goes on with lots of other diseases. So this is something that rather than, you know, uh, at this point, there, there's some, some disorders that are spread by improper human activity, like fooling around with sheep. You don't mess with the animals in that way. It's not right to the animals and so on. Um, but you put yourself in danger. And it's not as if God says, okay, I'll get you with this. No, our Lord warned us. It's like playing with matches. If you play with matches, you're going to get burned. And there are a lot of things God tells us not to do because they're risky and dangerous. So don't do them. Don't think God is punishing you by getting those diseases. If, as may be true with COVID, that people are playing around with various viruses in a laboratory and someone is careless, it gets out and kills a million people. You know, this, you, you have to be extremely cautious not to be doing things. And in some of these labs, and my states has them and other countries have them, where they try to get um, various biological weapons developed. When did God say you should use biological weapons that are not targeted toward combatants, but toward everybody indiscriminately? That's immoral. So you do immoral things and play immoral games, you're asking for physical trouble. Just like little kids playing with matches. And I would look at it more in those terms and that humans need to get their own behavior in better order and stop some of the monkey business like what might have happened with monkeypox uh, and, and, and AIDS and other diseases and get down to doing what is right morally. Because everybody gets affected. Whether you did an immoral act or not, you still get affected. So we have to be careful. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You have questions from our studio audience as well as more questions and emails. So please stay with us. you to join us tomorrow for EWTN Live. That'll be tomorrow night at 8 p.m. And we will premiere a new EWTN documentary on the incredible story of Irish-born priest, Father James E. Coyle. He was director of St. Paul's Church here in Birmingham uh, back in the 1920s. He was murdered in broad daylight, while he was praying his breviary 
on the steps of the rectory in 1921. And we'll talk with the current rector of the cathedral, Father Brian Jerebeck, and Jim Pinto, our own Jim Pinto, about the history-making murder trial that followed Father Coyle's legacy here in Birmingham and the impact of his martyrdom. It'll be interesting to note that the, defend, the attorney for the defendant in that murder got him off. He got the murderer off because he packed the court with Ku Klux Klansmen. And uh, that, that happened back in uh, 22, I think. Later on, he became himself a Klansman. He was appointed to the Supreme Court by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he was the one who came up with the phrase, the separation of church and state in the court decisions. Did that in 47 and 48. So we'll find out more about all these things uh, coming up tomorrow. Let's take a question we have from our studio audience. Sir, where are you from? Uh, uh, Somerset, Kentucky. Wonderful. Good to have you here. Thank you. And thank you for taking my question. Sure. What can we do for you today? Well, you were talking about the leper when he addressed Jesus. Mm -hmm. Was he already acknowledging who Jesus was? There's... I would say that there is a vague acknowledgement. Now remember, right before this, our Lord had been healing lots of people outside of Peter's house. And this is a day or two later than that. So that, that was on the Sabbath evening, the Saturday evening, that our Lord healed all these people outside the door. And he'd also cast a demon out from the man in the synagogue earlier on that Sabbath. So he has some faith. He may not be able to fully put it, but he recognizes this guy can do what he chooses to do. If he wills this, he can do it. So he has the beginnings of faith. And as we see in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 2, 11, I think it is, maybe 12, um, our, our Lord is said not to uh, quench the smoldering wick or break the bruised reed. In other words, this guy has a little bit of faith and our Lord fans it into flame saying, oh, you don't have enough faith. Get out of here. No, he doesn't. He takes what faith he does have and fans it into flame and increases it. This is a good thing for us to remember. He does it with the humble. You know, he does that with the humble. All right, and we have another caller, uh, Karen. And you're in Indiana? No, Father, I'm in Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. Oh, oh, they, I couldn't see the top of the eye. I just saw what looked like an eye. So you're in Tennessee. Great. And what yes. is your question or comment? Well, first of all, Father, thank you so much for your priesthood. Oh, my pleasure. And, it's a delight. Yeah, and, and then my question has to do with people are supposed to love themselves. I understand before it seems to be said that you must love yourself before you can love others. I don't think loving yourself is a prerequisite to loving others. Yeah. And that to say, you know, to love yourself almost sounds like something out of the 70s. 
Can you help me understand what kind of love they're talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. Here's, you know, our Lord said that love your neighbor as you love yourself. So some people, you know, will then say, well, therefore you have to love yourself first. And that is kind of prior. But then they take it another step and say, well, I still don't love myself enough. So I'll keep working on that and being nice to me and doing good things for me. And they don't quite get beyond that. And I think we have to be careful about this. First of all, you know, you learn to love yourself by being loved by others. This I, I cannot emphasize more strongly that the need for mothers and fathers and the rest of the family to show unconditional love to a baby when it's born is where it learns that it's loved, right? This is very important. You know, you can't tell a two-month-old, hey, stop being such a baby and grow up, stop crying and go get your own food. <laughs> That's absurd. When a two-month-old is crying and you're a mom or a dad, you learn to tell the different kinds of crying that they do, don't you? There's the crying when they're just cranky and sleepy, but they're fighting it. There's the crying when they're hungry. There's crying when they're sick. And you learn to detect those different times, right? And the, the, the signals that they give you. And, and you care for them. You don't say, stop babying yourself. No, no, you give them unconditional love. By the time they're a year old, it's time to have a wooden spoon. But <laughs> just to make them behave a little bit, you know, they don't understand a whole lot. But, you know, they have to behave. So this is something um, that I think is very, very important. Uh, you, you show love. And you learn that you're loved from the people around you. And the idea that you have to spend a lot of time doing that, I tell you, it will be as you give of yourself well, at the same time, and this is a very important point, especially in today's world, you have to have a good sense of your boundaries, knowing where you stop and others start. And that's both so that you don't try to uh, afflict them and cross the border and do things that are not proper to them, but neither do you allow them to invade your borders, you know, to, to your boundaries, that you have to have a certain sense of respect and knowledge of yourself so that people aren't abusing you. You know, selfish people will try to do that. There's no doubt. So you have to have a sense of boundaries, but you will learn more and more about loving by taking risks to love others for their sake, not what you can get out of them, but for what's good for them. The way, again, moms and dads need to do for their newborns 
and as they go into the rest of life. You look for what is good for that person. Sometimes it'll be the greater good, not what the person thinks they need. I mean, I thought I needed ponies and candy a lot more than my parents thought so. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's good wisdom they have to have, too. But giving of yourself is, is absolutely key. And, and that way, loving others, you'll know how much you're loved. All right, let's go to Nick in Indiana. Nick, what can we do for you? Yes, hello, Father Mitch. It's, it's good to talk to you, sir. And Thank you. Just letting, letting you know that I certainly appreciate your faithfulness in Christ and, and the union that we can share together. And I have a question. Um, back 46 years ago, I had went to... What, what they call a faith healing service. Mm -hmm. And the person had told me that was praying over me, told me that uh, if I had enough faith that I would be healed and Christ would make me whole. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, that did not happen. Mm -hmm. And my parents were also told the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that did not happen. So I guess, I guess, Father Mitch, what I can say is the devil has really tried to beat me up and say, hey, you don't have no faith. Maybe, you're not, maybe you mm -hmm. really don't belong to Christ. Maybe this or that. But I, yeah. get, this, I get this confirmation, mm -hmm. I guess, from the Lord that says, Nick, I have a plan for your life. I have a plan for your life. So what, what sort of advice maybe would you have regarding that? I mean, what is your opinion? Sure. My first advice would be for that faith healer to retire if he hasn't already. That's foolishness because it's a way to avoid having responsibility. Well, maybe it's my lack of faith as a faith healer or something like that. And putting the blame on you for not having faith. I don't find that to be a righteous way to deal with it. None of us know God's plan for you. It's difficult enough to know what the Lord wants from us in our own lives and to show another kind of respect. Praying for people like yourself who are, are blind, and born blind um, is a good thing. I'm always happy to do that. But I don't know, and I, I, don't, I certainly don't put the burden of responsibility on your level of faith and say, well, you didn't get healed, That's not, you don't have enough faith. That's just not right. Instead, we say, well, we'll pray. We'll put this into God's hands. I'm a strong believer in what our Lord told us about prayer. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven, not my will. And it doesn't depend on your faith. There are things that our Lord has apparently been doing in your life, whether you could see or not. And there are limits that every one of us has, and the Lord works through our limits. 
And as the, there was a man born blind that was healed in the gospel, and it was, as our Lord said, the man's blindness was not his fault or his parents' fault. This is to show the glory of God. Well, our Lord's glory can be shown in a variety of things, including blindness. So that would be the, uh, a very important sense to have and not to allow this to uh, be put as your responsibility. Keep asking our Lord what he wants you to do. Seek his will. And you should not have any guilt about, you know, not having enough faith or something like that. That's just, I doubt that that's the case. All right. I'm afraid that we've run out of time. Thank you very much for being with us. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and lead you in all of his ways by his peace. May Almighty God bless you and give you his healing, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we want to thank you for the support that you give us, but just remind you also that the network is brought to you by you. And we ask, like Mother did uh, all the time, to keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. That's the only way that we get to pay our bills, too. God bless you all, and thank you very much.